Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. This is live show number 37, late season Q&A part one. We took a whole bunch of questions on the Hunting Beast Facebook forum um, that uh, are related to late season deer hunting and we answered them. There's going to be a second part to this episode because we didn't have enough time to answer all of them in one show so we'll be looking for that probably get that up on this uh this platform on monday also some more exciting news we're probably going to double down on this show and start doing it two times a week instead of uh once a week so um yeah you guys have been awesome and i feel like we need to keep pumping out content for you um and keep growing um with that being said go to the description go down and and hit that link to go to the youtube channel before the echo got a lot of cool things happening this coming year um, that i think everybody is going to enjoy all right no ad reads just support the the youtube channel over there and that'd be great and let's get into the episode hey everybody welcome back to the show how's it going dan good What's uh what's been going on in your world? You've been deer hunting any? Uh yeah, we just wrapped up muzzleloader season. Um that was fun. Did you guys uh saw you guys you you put a slew of uh gun hunting videos up. Yeah. Um, looks like you had a uh pretty good day of driving there. Yeah. Um I can't, we, I, we, me and you were talking, I don't know, the other day about how well those videos do. People just love those gun hunting, deer driving videos. They do. They do. Yeah. I mean, they get more views than our archery stuff, honestly, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. On average, uh, gun videos do much better. Yeah. Which I mean, I guess if, if you didn't know any better, we, I, I wouldn't have guessed that, you know? You yeah. I wouldn't have either. I wouldn't yeah. have either. I think you think it's because it's like kind of unique to the Hunt and Beast channel. Like you, like there's not very. Yeah, I don't think anybody else making videos like that. I mean, uh, the drives and stuff. I don't. Yeah. I think everybody's afraid of um, backlash and negative comments and stuff. Which you know, if you've looked long, there's a lot of negative comments. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to me how many um, people are are. uh, I don't know how to say it. Like. uh, they're so great. They've never killed a small buck in their life. All they shoot is monsters. And they think that somebody that shoots their first buck on one of our drives should only yeah. hold out one monster. I hate deer shamers. You know? Oh, yeah. It's the worst. Now, I held out. I didn't shoot any small ones. Um, but I did finish a couple off for the other guys. Yeah. Um, but uh, we got a lot of deer shamers. And we got a lot of people that uh, are racist against black guns. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, um, what's funny is is I get these comments like, um, like the, uh, you know, I would never use a two two three. It's too small of a caliber. You can't knock them down with that. Well, if you've never used one, how do you know that? Yeah. But the right bullets is a pretty effective gun. Now, it's only effective for a certain range, but I know that. I practice with it. I use it. It's, it's great for a great tool for a specific use with those drives. And uh, on average... The deer go down a lot quicker with the AR than they do with the thirty out six or the shotgun from all the yeah. drives. You know well, that, round, that round's pretty fast out. too, right? So it's I can get shots off accurate. quick, which is important to me because mm-hmm. if they run out into the open woods and they get to other hunters, 
I, I generally you lose the deer. You get in an argument over it, and whoever gets to it first is how the law works in Wisconsin. All they yeah. have to do is take a shot at it and say they they hit it. Whether they did or not, there's no argument. The first one to the deer, if they say they shot at it, they get it. And I lost a big six pointer that way one time. Yeah. And by by big, I mean it scored in the 130s as a six. Yeah. You know, um, which is world class for a six pointer. And uh, you know, uh, you put a couple of rounds through the chest with that AR with good expanding um, bullets, they go down really quick. Hmm. Yeah. You know? The thing is being able to get multiple hits on them. Quick. Yeah. I didn't but, lose uh, the one I shot at. They are, yeah. Using those. They are uh, entertaining videos, though. Like there's a lot more action in them, and things are moving and going around, and you know, I think that's maybe why it's so entertaining. And that's something like, well, uh, you know, YouTube probably like because people probably can, you know, sometimes archery hunting can get boring, for lack of mm -hmm. a better word, you know, whereas that. And you'll probably lose retention time, which retention time is a YouTube turn. But people stop watching your videos because they're boring. With which of those, they probably just keep watching them. Therefore, YouTube probably keeps recommending them. I right. never really thought about it, but anyways. So we got a bunch I of people. Think I like to, uh, we really got to get to um, hire somebody that's a dedicated cameraman for that because we could really get some good footage with, especially if we had two cameramen. One walked along with the drivers, right. One stayed with the whoever's in the best kill position on the stands. Um, we could really get some good footage. Oh, it's hard I'd to sell film on a, on a gun drive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, we got a bunch of people on. So uh, if you guys are new to this format, me and Dan do this every week. We're going to start doing it maybe twice a week sometimes. Uh, and just leave your questions in the comments, if you have any, we'll try to get to them at the end of the show. Um, so we'll have uh, like Thursday night live and uh, random Wednesday or random Wednesday, <laughs> random or, yeah, Sunday night. <laughs> a good name, name for it, random whatever day it is. Maybe the second show will be a little shorter or something. Just do a quick topic and topic and hop off. But uh, like tonight, we're going to do. Uh, we, we put some questions up on the Hunting Beast Facebook page about late season questions, and I I have all those, and we're going to do half of those tonight. And then the other half, probably Sunday night. Um, and then we're going to leave time for questions like we always do um, at the end. So just leave them in the comments. And I'll also throw the link to get on the uh, show live with us. If you want to ask your questions live, you can just click on the link and be looking for that in the comments section whenever I kind of announce that on the show. Um, I think that's it. Make sure you subscribe. Hit the like button. That all helps with, with, with YouTube, too. Uh, anyway, got another news clip this week. We're trying to have a news clip every week. And sounds like we need to go to uh, Thief River Falls, Minnesota, and start deer hunting up there. I got a lead on a big non-typical up there. <laughs> uh, the the article me and Dan are referring to is in the description of this video. And I think it was posted all over, uh, all over you know, Facebook and I think I, I found it on the hunting beast forum. I think you posted it, Dan, but there was a giant non-typical stuck in the river up there in Minnesota and uh, a rescue crew, a firefighter, firefighters got it out. Um, you ought to look, you ought to read the article and see the buck. Cause it's a, it's a big buck. Uh, apparently it was kind oh, of a beast members were, uh, were there on the scene filming it. I tried to get, uh, 
get one of them to let me use a clip and uh, have them call in and talk about it. But uh, uh, I didn't get a hold of him in time. He, I couldn't get an answer before the show. Yeah. Um, apparently the buck was kind of a uh, a known buck in the area. I guess a lot of people had trail cam pictures of it and whatnot, the article said. so That's the thing. Nowadays, you know, any buck that that size, somebody knows about it. There's pictures somewhere. There's videos yep. somewhere. You know, um, that's kind of cool because nowadays uh, it's a lot harder for people to poach animals like that because of um, uh, all the trail cameras out there everywhere. Yep. Yeah. There's information on every deer. I mean, it's, cra- it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, there's actually people already posting on the, under, under that where I uh, put the article in my profile on Facebook. Yeah. Pictures of it say, no, it's still alive. We've seen it, you know, so there's, yeah. that's how far reaching this stuff is, you know? Oh man, it's crazy. I, I think about that sometimes. It's like, I wonder how much, I wonder what, what would the, a deer would think if it knew how much we knew about them, like how much time and effort we, we put into like learning them and even specific deer. Oh, it'd be pretty creepy if I was, if, if, if I were them, you know? Uh, but yeah, that was a, it was a big deer. Uh, you think it'll survive? It looked like it was a pretty rough shape in the, the yeah, it, I wouldn't have thought so looking at it. Um, but, People are getting pictures of it walking around uh, now, so yeah, it looks like it's fine. It looks like it's going to be okay. I didn't catch whenever it was done or whenever it was stuck. What day was it? I'm not you sure. I'm just I'm like not sure I just saw oh, it. Oh, was it? I have no idea. Maybe it was. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I just I assumed it was a maybe a couple of days ago or. You know, or uh, I know several people who have um, found deer stuck in fences. Yeah. And release them. Because yeah. what happens is when they go to jump them, if they jump them uh, real tight and their front feet go over and actually go over to the top strand and under the second strand, they twist. And then when, if they panic and get over it, they get wound. Yeah. And their legs get stuck. And it's a common thing with, with uh, barbed wire fences. Yep. And uh, I know people have found deer like that and then released them. And actually, in the majority of cases, after releasing them, they're found dead later. Hmm. The stress kills them. And I know that uh, when they used to um, trap deer uh, in a place called River Hills in Wisconsin here, which is um, it was a really rich neighborhood where they wouldn't allow anybody to, to hunt or anything. And the houses were like on, on like quarter mile lots, you know, because these guys are billionaires. Um, and there's all these giant bucks in there. And uh they would go in there and they'd trap these deer and move them out to the country and release them. And it was funny because uh, um, they did a study on it. They put some collars on them and stuff. And uh, a lot of them were dying in transport. And a lot of them were dying right after transport. Just from being trapped and being transported because of the stress. Because mm-hmm. of how hard it is on their body. Um, I don't know if it's trying to get out of the trap or if it's the worrying or what. But they're actually a pretty delicate animal in that regard. Yeah, I didn't. I, didn't, I mean, I've heard of like I know lots of mammals are that way, where you can actually like give them a heart attack if you put them in certain scenarios. Now, did you uh, ever hear of that uh, that deer we got in the drive that had a heart attack? Yeah, I've heard that story before. You ought to tell it though, in case people haven't. Okay, so. <laughs> Um, we were doing the, the gun deer drives and there's a section of cattails that we do that takes a whole day. 
and we we drive a section that's big and then it gets narrower we drive and then it, we dr drive another narrower section till it gets down to nothing and the idea is you start at the big end and some get through you and they go into the next section and then some get through there and they go into the next section and the last section is pretty hard for them to get out of so we drive these three sections in a row and we had a doe get through in the first section get through in the second section and there's snow on the ground so we were watching where it was going and we kept following that thing and it got through the drivers on uh, the last dr drive which they hardly ever do but it got past a guy on a ladder in a little narrow spot he was looking the wrong way or something and went right past him i followed the tracks past him. i'm like were you looking because it was like 10 yards from him he's like i didn't see nothing going through <laughs> the snow was fresh i'm like it came through right here so uh i had the guys regroup i'm like go in this little patch and it's only like two acres and actually i think i sent uh it was jeff trudell in there and i went up on this hill and we all surrounded this little patch and way up on this hill i'm watching jeff go through this and i'm like he's following the tracks and then he gets to a point where um he's like right up against this opening and he's still on the tracks and he goes i can't go any further i'm falling through i'm like you just got a little bit to go and while i'm saying that i see this deer poke out look around in this little opening and i put the gun up and i take a shot at it and it turns around and runs back in by him and he comes out because he he's falling through up to his armpit so he's scared so he comes i think that was like one of the first years we put him into cattails and uh I'm like, get back in there. He's like, I can't go in there. I can't go in there. I'll drown. You know? So I'm like, okay, I'm going in. I got to go see if I had blood anyways. Right. Yeah. So I go out there and I get on this blood trail and then, um, Jason comes from the other way and we just kind of narrow it down and get closer and closer. And I see the thing in a bed, you know, so I sneak up with the gun and I get right up to it and it never jumps and I poke it and it's obviously dead. I kick it. It's dead. So we look around, there wasn't a bullet hole in it. So we chased that thing all day on these drives. I think it dropped of a heart attack. Even when we cleaned it and everything, there wasn't a bullet hole in that thing anywhere. That's crazy. Yeah. I missed it when I shot at it. And that was the only shot that was taken at it. And I clean missed. If I hit it with that 30 out six with the, um, you know, hundred feet. You'd have found a hole. A yeah. Hole. Especially, yeah. You, you know, you skin it or whatever. You'd find a hole. There wasn't yeah. a hole in that thing anywhere. anywhere. So it, I think mm -hmm. it died, died of a heart attack. No meat was uh, lost in the killing of that deer. No. <laughs> We still every every year when we when we do drives, that subject will come up. Remember that time you scared that one to death? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Anyway, um, hey, here's a question. Before we get started into the hunting stuff, this is a this is a topic that gets brought up all the time, and I want to know your opinion on it. What are your thoughts on the the Mitchell buck? Do you know much uh, about that? Yeah, I do. Um, there's a lot of factors in there that lead me to believe that that's fake. Yeah. Matter of fact, I wouldn't say I I'm led to believe that I'm, I'd say I know it's fake. Yeah. Now, number, number one, the guy, um, was an attention whore really trying to get into the, um, into the hunting industry. He was trying to get sponsors. He was trying to grow. He was trying to do things. Um, and he was dirt poor and trying to make money. Now, if you got uh, a multi-million dollar deer, you're not going to collect on it. You're just going to hide the rack. Yeah. He had people willing to pay him a million dollars just to show it to him and let him x-ray it. Wouldn't do it. Um, There's just too many factors. And uh, another factor is um, the guy had a lot 
of really shady dealings with the law. Um, not to say that that makes you a poacher, um, but he was busted for um, theft of mail, U.S. mail. Um, he was um, busted for filming up uh, women's skirts in uh, shopping malls. And he just doesn't seem like the per kind of person that's really honest to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really probably shouldn't even say those things, but it's true and it's already out there publicly. Yeah. And uh, the, the main factor is that uh, if he shot that buck and it was for real he shot it, he would have no problem with somebody x-raying and he wouldn't hide it. He'd want to prove it. I mean, if, if you had shot a world record buck, even if you didn't want to score it, if people were accusing you of poaching, the whole world was accusing you of it. And they said, all you have to do is x-ray it. And then they said, I'll give you a million dollars x-ray because I know, you know, you, you, uh, you didn't shoot it legally. And yeah. I know that, that those antlers are bolted on there. You'd be like, okay, I'll x-ray it. I'll prove you wrong. And then I'll take my rack and I'll be out of here. You know, who yeah. wouldn't? Right. Especially if it's like officials saying that, right? Yeah. And then he really wanted that thing to be the world record. He promoted it as the world record, but doesn't want it scored as the world record. He did want it scored, and he did have it scored. But as soon as they wanted to x-ray it, nope. Hmm. Couldn't x-ray it. And in today's world, and even when he shot that, people were fabbing up antlers uh, like crazy. And you can see it on an x-ray, but uh, it's really hard to tell otherwise. I mean, it's just like when you... Uh, you break an antler, how an antler, uh, how a uh, taxidermist can fix it. Yeah. You know, they can do that to, to racks. They can make them bigger if they want. There's right. people that fabricate world record bucks all the time. I mean, the difference is they don't go try to put it in a record book. But um, I believe he was just out for attention. I think it probably, he probably went a little too far. Got himself in a big, big yeah, yeah, I think maybe he was just trying to like th thumb his nose at the industry. Um, just maybe like uh, upset with certain people or something and he was just trying to thumb his nose at people. I don't know. But um, I don't think there's any way in the world that that is real. It also came from a, and maybe I'm wrong here. It came uh, from a place where they don't shoot world record bucks. Right, right. It's yeah. like what, like Northwestern or Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. You're like not far from where we're hunting. When he moved to Michigan, he uh, joined a big buck club where you're only, you, you know, you had to wait for certain size animals to kill him. Mm -hmm. He got caught dragging out a little four pointer at night, sneaking it out of there mm -hmm. and uh, got kicked out of the club. So, I mean, it was just some weird stuff with that dude. Now I know he's just, he's a strange guy. And I, and that's not to say he did get shot on accident or something. And he was just trying to do the right thing and claim the deer and just not right. club members or something. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I don't, I just, nothing adds up with that buck. Nothing at all. I mean, I'm not in the scores. I could care less about having the world record or anything else. Any mature buck is cool to me. Literally. Yeah. I'm still cashing in the, and taking the millions if I shoot a world record buck. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I don't, don't need to see anymore. No. <laughs> right. Any person who's a human with common sense would. And if he had that buck and he was hiding the rack like he he claims or whatever in, in a safe somewhere, this was his son's claims, and uh, he made up some story. It got burned up at one point or something. But um, 
if he really had that rack, at some point over this long period of time, he would have said, screw living in this shack with nothing. I'm cashing in. You know, yeah, and he really right. quickly, when threatened to be be sued, either show the rack by the world record holder who was making money off of his world record by traveling around with it. Yeah. And all of a sudden shows didn't want him and stuff like that because, well, now it might not be the world record. You know, we're not going to pay you that to bring the, you know, the old world record, you know? Right. So, um, the guy from Canada who, uh, Milo Hansen, he threatened to sue him because he knew it was fake. And he said, you either show it, have it scored and, or I'm suing you for claiming you have the world record. Cause he was claiming he had the world record. And he said, here's how you get out of it. Sign this contract right here stating you did not shoot the world record. You did not claim the world record. You want nothing to do with the world record. And you'll never claim you shot the world record. And to not get sued, he signed it. So he basically signed that he lied about everything. Hmm. So, I mean, why would you do that? At that at that point, anybody would say their back's against the wall. They have to have the wreck. Yeah. You know, X-rayed or whatever. So, yeah, I know Kevin over at the Deer Hunter podcast did like a series of of a podcast about him, and I haven't listened to all of them yet. And, I know a uh, lot just... of people that really believe in him. Kevin's one of them. And I can say one thing that's in common with everybody that believes in him. You guess what that is? What's that? They're from Michigan? They're all from Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> they all, they're all from Michigan, and they all really, really want to believe they got the world record. I didn't think Kevin I, – well, I haven't listened to him all, but I didn't think Kevin was uh, on board with him. No, no, I could no. be wrong. I thought he was. I didn't really – Oh. Honestly, I didn't watch the, sh- the shows. The yeah, I haven't. I haven't watched them all either. Um, I just, I mostly didn't because I didn't want to get that deep into it and have to spend much time listening to them. Uh, but uh, maybe one of these days when I'm driving or something, I'll catch up on them. Sorry, Kevin. Um, anyway, all right, enough of that. Let's get into the uh, the Q and A's. Uh, thanks everybody for submitting your question. If you're on here listening, because you submitted a question. A lot of them, uh, there was like a hundred questions ended up being our comments and some of them were repetitive. So I condensed a lot of them, uh, just because we, we, uh, just for time's sake. And, um, so if your question is worded a little differently than what you put it on there, it's, it's because of that. It's because I rewarded it. Okay. This is question number one and it came from Tim Hinky, and it's probably one we, we should start off with. It's, a uh, what is the best way to find a mature buck during late season? Find his tracks in the snow. What if you don't have snow? Glass. There you go. So yeah. what I do is around uh, here. late season comes, it's all about scouting. And my biggest problem with late season is that you have such short days. And for some reason, I'm still working. So, um, I'm sure a lot of people have that problem. So getting off of work with enough time to scout and stuff. And, you know, basically we get to weekends, you know what I mean? And the days are so short, it's dark at four 30. So I can, you know, I can always, um, only work till five. So I get home at noon, you know, 5 yeah. PM. And then I get home at noon, you know me, but, uh, in other words, I sneak out early, yeah. but, uh, get out and, uh, uh, hunt, but it's hard to scout 
but really getting onto them is easy at this time of the year. Now it's not right now. And the reason for that is now they got a four day doe season right after nine day muzzle loader season, right after nine day gun season, all back to back, which is really crazy. You know, um, it's another one of those things where um, the DNR works for us, but they act like we're their servants. I mean, I never got no questionnaire asking me if I wanted a, a four-day gun season for does, but I ended up with it. But uh, when that doe season ends, we got, uh, I don't know, a few days, like a week, maybe a little longer than a week. And then we got this really long doe hunt called the holiday hunt. At least in my county, it's not in every county, and that's all antlerless. And and that they kill more bucks than they do does. If you if you add it up, they kill eleven uh, percent uh, shed antler bucks and something like thirty nine percent button bucks because the button bucks are just walking around stupid because they've been kicked out of the doe groups and they don't yeah they don't even have smarts. And uh, then there's like a, a four to six percent or three three to six percent. They don't know the exact numbers, but it's somewhere between three to six percent incidental kills of bucks, antlered bucks. You know, mostly the ones where the antlers are hidden by the ears or something like that. People shoot them on accident. Most of those get just left left out there because people are so afraid of getting caught with a, an illegal buck. Um, and a matter of fact, after doe seasons are over, I find dead bucks laying all over the place when I'm scouting. Every mm. time they have that holiday hunt, so I hate that holiday hunt, really me personally i won't participate in doe hunts or holiday hunts i'll shoot does during the regular season so any anywho what i was getting at before one of my tantrum is that uh, that'll really kill the whole month of december for me so maybe i'll go on a road trip you know someplace else or something but uh we do get january then the trouble is uh you know a good number of the bucks will be shed by that time but there'll still be a few out there to chase that aren't. Um, and I do well in, in January. But to get on them, um, I glass them. I shine them. I find tracks in the snow. And I do a lot of scouting. And where I'm looking mostly is around food sources and dense swamps. And the more snow you get, the more they're going to be in dense cover because they're going to be eating uh, browse. And uh, you got to think about where to browse is good. Um if there's standing corn, you want to look for standing corn. You want to look for things like that. Um, and I will search down and find them. And what you're going to find is it's pretty much a ghost town everywhere, except for where the deer are. The deer will be conjugated in groups, at least up here in the North country. And this is if there's snow. I mean, I know where Tim hunts, there's snow. Um, maybe not now, but there will be. Um, snow and cold will get them moving really well. The cold days will get them moving in daylight really well. But these deer will be the most patternable they are the entire year. They're more patternable in winter, you know, in the end of the season, than they are in early season, than they are in rut, than any other time. Uh, you know, until you get in there and shake them up, they'll just do the same thing over and over again because they only really exist at that time of the year to go from bed to food. They're kind of miserable and just surviving. So if you play it right and you kind of look at this from a distance, you you glass, you get onto tracks, you back off, 
you find this food source, you find where there's a lot of activity, and then you sit back and you watch it once or twice. Those deer will repeat the same pattern over and over again. And then you can move in for the kill. And uh, I think that this is one of the best times to kill big bug, big bucks in, in the uh, aspect that they're so patternable. However, there ain't a leaf on a tree and they will spot you in the tree really quick. They're, uh, if you hunt the same spot twice, they'll bust you for sure. And you'll have, in a lot of cases, when you hit it right and you get on a big number of deer, there'll be you know, three or four bucks that you're willing to shoot that are really good bucks and 30 or 40 deer you don't want to shoot. And guess which ones are going to come by first and, and spot you in the tree or smell where you walked or so it's got its challenges. Um, but locating them, um, I'm looking for that thick cover. That's got lots of brows. Dogwood is a good one. Uh, near crop fields, uh, especially standing corn because it doesn't get buried in snow. Um, but uh, those kind of things. You know, they're going to move to that dense cover, both for wind, to get out of the uh, wind and cold, and to get food. Um, a lot of times they'll bed in uh, pines, because pines will be warmer, especially if they're thick pines. But again, near food, they're not going to really eat the pines unless they're starving. Yep. Well, you answered like half the questions in that uh, spill there, so no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that was good. Um. Yeah, here in Indiana, I do a lot of, like, I mean, you just drive the roads and find, you know, the pockets of deer. If you're, especially if, like, if you don't have time to hunt in the evening, like a lot of us, you know, a lot of you don't that have to work. You don't get off until, you know, four o'clock and all of a sudden you only got an hour, hour and a half of daylight on the eastern time zone at least. Um, you know, if you can just on your way home from work, just start driving roads and looking looking that way. Um, do, you, do you find that... Uh, like if you find a group of like, say right before dark, you see whatever, 30 does out in the field. I mean, are, are you think the big bucks are making their way to that same food source that time of year? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, how I always say, uh, you, you know, um, that the does and the small bucks are like squirrels and rabbits. They're not even yeah. the same species. Winter, they start becoming the same species because it's all about food. So yeah. they get on the same patterns. Um, it's their only option. Yeah, so if you find a group of does, you usually found a buck too. If you're if you're patient and you watch, as long as it's a, a bigger group, sometimes it takes a night or two to watch, and sometimes you don't mm -hmm. find them. Um, yeah, I think it, I think that covers that question pretty you made, well. You made a good point about the the roads though, and driving the roads, and um, I kind of said it from the aspect of trying to hunt every day. And uh, you're right. I mean, if you ain't got enough time to hunt or if you're not onto something. So if you haven't done that scouting that we were talking mm -hmm. about, I mean, just going out and hunting near thick cover isn't going to do you, you crap for good. So you're yeah. better off just scouting until you get on deer at this time of the year mm -hmm. for your hunt. Because you're going to go through vast areas of not finding deer. And and like you said, the, the best way to get on them rapidly is with a vehicle. Mm -hmm. Cover ground. Yep. All right, let's go on to question number two here. It says, uh, you set on the food source or closer to bedding. How do you balance hunting food sources versus overlooked or untouched bedding? 
Well, for me, uh, it depends on how far away from the food source they're betting. Um, in a lot of cases, uh, they're really in survival mode at this time of the year up here. It might be a little mm -hmm. different by Josh. You're, you're about probably 10 degrees warmer. Mm -hmm. But uh, up here, they will bet as close to the food as they possibly can where they still got safe betting. So, um, like, earlier in the year, they might bet a quarter mile from, you know, if they just get the perfect betting spot. They might inch up a little closer this time of the year until they're bumped. So, uh, a lot of times, I am actually hunting right at the food source because that's also at the betting source. So I'm trying, sometimes it's really hard to get between them, between the food and the betting because of how close they bet. Um, but that all changes once you, you know, you educate them. That's why it's really important to um, watch them for a day or so before you move in for the kill, if you can. Because if you hit it wrong, if you're in the wrong tree or, or, um, set up a little off and you didn't know what was going to happen a lot of times uh it's over but yeah. then again i've been in spots where i've had deer come in like on a consistent basis and i've been able to hunt them over and over and over again um there's been a couple of scenarios uh one scenario is i can get to the edge of where they're moving without crossing their trails stay on the downwind side and they never knew i was there and the other scenario is um, I take a main trail that people use occasionally all year round and deer are used to human scent on it. And I set up right on the trail. That's done real well for me. I've had uh, the same bucks walk under me day after day um, when I've hunted like that. But if you get like 50, 60 yards off that trail, all of a sudden they're freaking out when they hit your scent tra trail, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I think uh, this time of year, like you're, entrance and like if you want to have multiple sits at this location like your exits are so important too mm -hmm. um i mean i think a lot of people I, you hear people all the time be like yeah i saw deer out in that field and they didn't show up when i was there you know it's probably because they watched you walk in uh if i had to like you know guess uh just this time of year i think so open and like you said they can be bumped closer to bedding closer to uh to the food source so there's a good chance they uh watch you walk in and then on top of that then you got to worry about getting down and not bumping all the deer, uh, mm. which I mean, a lot of people will be like, ah, that didn't bother them. I and mean, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think it bothers the does and maybe those small bucks, but I don't know how many times a, you know, a mature buck will get bumped off of a field by a human and not think about it before he goes back into that field again during daylight, you know? Well, well um, you make some good points. And, um, now this last week, uh, we just ended our, uh, yesterday ended our nine day, muzzleloader season and uh i think during that nine days i missed two days so i hunted seven days and uh i got a couple cameras over by dave's and i've been getting um pictures of uh several good bucks and they've been pretty consistent um and they've been showing up in daylight sometimes and uh just a few days ago um a really big buck that I was hunting early season showed back up that I thought was dead because it went by my neighbor with a bad wound and then he mm -hmm. shot it and didn't recover it. Mm. So it had two arrow holes through it. So I'm really happy that that thing survived because it was the biggest buck I was after over there. So anyway, anyways, um, 
generally I spread myself out really thin and I go all over the swamps and islands and stuff at that time of the year. And I have a lot of action, but I really wanted to shoot. Um, there's three bucks that I was really interested in shooting. They were showing up regularly enough that I wanted to. So I had a pretty bulletproof setup where I could come in on a south wind and we had a lot of south winds. I could get away with, you know, pretty much a straight west or any south wind. So um, I came in there and uh, hunted it up against the fence line where I could go up the tree from the backside and the deer really didn't come on my side of the fence. I guess they occasionally do, which I can say that because one day I got there and there's a brand new giant rub right underneath the tree that wasn't there the day before. But I hunted it uh, uh, I don't know five times, you know, you know, in a week, mm-hmm. which is a lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, one day I had twelve deer go past, you know, and uh, one day I had uh, seven, you know. But I can say that by the end of that five five or six days, I had uh, uh, deer less deer. And, uh, I did have a, uh, the last day that I hunted there, I had a six pointer come out that I had seen a couple times and it came out of the woods at a hundred yards and I'm nestled in a little hole where you cannot see me. A person wouldn't even see me up there except for the orange. Yeah. And, uh, that deer came out at a hundred yards, peeked its head out and looked directly at me. And I'm like, Oh, I can't be looking at me. And then it came out a little ways and went up to this tree about 50 yards away and peeked around the tree to see if I was in there and was staring directly up at me. That deer <laughs> obviously had figured out exactly where I was. Right. And uh, that's the trouble with that. But I did have a pretty bulletproof um, setup. And I still think that it wasn't that bad of an idea, even though the small ones figured me out. But I had a lot of fawns going through, doe fawns. And the bucks were coming there because of the doe fawns. The doe fawns were coming out of a uh, doe bed in area and heading to uh, some cut corn. So uh, um, the bucks were following them. That's what I was getting on camera and stuff. And actually, mm-hmm. I, I, I got some pretty cool views of uh, smaller bucks I didn't want to shoot, chasing does around, grunting and stuff. Um, but uh, if, if that one of the big bucks came through, I still don't think it would have known I'm there. But by spooking the fawns away, I was defeating the purpose because once the fawns are gone, then right, then I don't have the bait. Yeah. All right. Here's uh, the next question. What are some natural late season food sources? So I'm, I'm assuming they're talking about anything other than corn and beans or whatever else is planted unnaturally. Yeah. What do you think? Apple I got a couple of pile of corn. <laughs> <laughs> we did have some questions. It's not on this. Uh, we, it's not on this one, but it's some people are asking about stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, mostly the, competing, competing with that during late season. Natural food sources are like dogwood. The red osier dogwood yeah. is a good one. Um, young browse, um, young poplar, um, hardwood uh, areas that have been clear cut and are growing back. Those are really good pop, uh, natural food sources. They like young trees, young hardwood trees, young poplar, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Around here, you'll find like, uh, 
and I'll be honest around here. I haven't had very many late season buck tags to like hunt them to get real good at it. But uh, I find a lot of sheds like in the Hills next to like when there's some like chestnut Oaks or red Oaks that have fallen. Um, a lot of places don't have the Oaks like we do. Like, so there's mm-hmm. leftover Oaks for them to eat that time of year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I've noticed when I was talking about you, there was rotten Oaks on the uh, rotten acorns yeah. on the Hills, you know, where yeah. by me, I don't even have acorns by the end of October. They've eaten them all. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, a lot of people will talk about hunting over honey locusts. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah they like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Green, uh, green briar around here. If it's, yep. you know, especially if we have like a warmer, um, you know, warmer season, um, which that's another thing around here. I'm like, I, I don't get to hunt these scenarios very often because it could be 50 degrees in December, all of December. And then our, you know, our season goes out. So. You know, it's not really. You kind of saw late, that when you hunted with us last year when we did the um, Fort McCoy challenge. Oh, yeah. We got yeah. into that uh, below zero temperatures and look at how good the deer moved. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, the, the challenge wasn't finding deer. It was just like actually physically hunting is the challenge, like just being out there. Now, you think about this when people are asking us uh, what the food sources are. I didn't know what the hell they were eating there. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, there isn't a green field. They're walking, there. into, a, they're walking into a, a field of dried up brown grass and eating like crazy. I mean, you saw mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so a lot of times uh, we really don't know the food like people think we do. Yeah. But we go find the deer. Where are they? Yeah. You, you know, and then you hunt them. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because they're leaving sign. Yeah. I mean, you know what? The snow is a just a great boon because they're not moving very far distances. So when you find those, those, those tracks in the snow and a lot of them in an area, mm-hmm. you're in them. Yep. Yep. For sure. All right. Let's go on to the next question here. Um, morning versus evenings during late season. There's quite a few people ask that. Yeah. Scout in the morning. Yeah. The evening. I doubt you're yep. going to see much of anything in the mornings. They, they seem to be bedded before daylight in the mornings um, at that time. Now, the difference is, though, the later mornings seem better. It seems like when it gets bitter cold, they'll get up around 10, 11 or so in the heat of the day when the sun's up. Mm-hmm. They'll go feed again, and they'll move again, and they'll they'll move out to the food source and back again. So, um I just don't think you need to get there before daylight and sit that first hour. I don't think that's a very productive time of the uh, day. Um, and I do think that uh, morning hunting is detrimental to late season hunting. Like I said, these areas are really delicate to pushing the deer out of there. So if you're walking into an area where the deer's already up and feeding and they're only moving a hundred yards to food and back, they might be bedded in that food source for the night and then move to their bedding area at daylight. So you go in there and kick them out of there. Now you're not going to kill them. Now they know they're being hunted. It's a proverbial slap on the ass. Hey, here I come. So I think the evening hunt is a much better hunt um, for that time of year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I I completely agree with you. I, I just, there's so many things that can go wrong in the mornings. Um, and... It's, it can be, I mean, especially up like at Fort McCoy, when we were up there, uh, during January, it was like, I mean, the mornings were just so cold. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, it's uh, uh there's something up, about uh, 30 below and uh, yeah. where you're just like, nah, I think I'll wait till this evening. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you, you know, if I got so many spots to go uh, and yeah. Fort McCoy had so many deer in so many areas that you could, um, yeah. I'll still go out and hunt in the mornings, but when it's that cold, I'd rather not. I yeah, mean, right. It, your, your equipment don't even function, but, yep. uh, those evenings can be really good. Yep. For sure. Much better. All than right. Let's get, uh, let's keep going here. We got, we're pretty far, far along in time. We'll, we'll keep going here. How does, how does betting differ from early October to mid and late December? We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. You know, a, a big part of it is that, um, you, you know, just look at it. You go out there in October and something looks really thick and you're like, this is good betting. You go out there in, in December and you're like, man, that wouldn't hold a rabbit. Yeah. A lot of times even scouting, when you go out through something in winter and scout, that's a great time to be out there because you get to see how really how thick something is. You, you know, um, because once every, all the leaves are down, then you know what thick is. And really they got to have they got to have cover. You have a lot less area a deer can bed in wintertime than you do in earlier in the year. They can scatter out over more vast areas. They have to have certain aspects of cover. They, they really don't want to be in the open sun. They uh, don't want to be in the wind. They don't want to be seen in their beds that are going to be in thicker cover. And there's only so much that has that at that time of the year. Once all the leaves are down and everything's bare and open and there's a blanket of snow where you can spot things, you know? Yeah. All right. Next question here. And we were, we were talking about, you were talking about this a little bit uh, in your initial uh, comments there. It's um, how high do you prefer to set up in late season? Uh, there was a couple other guys asking about just our setups and how we get away with, you know, hunting in bear trees and, or do we ever hunt on the ground was another question. I remember our time understanding that question because really you shouldn't smoke pot at all when you hunt. <laughs> Whatever. How high in the tree? Oh. Yeah, how high. Right. How high until you can't feel the cold anymore. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Again, it's, it's really dependent on uh, the exact situation. So um, you do have to be very careful of eyes in late season, of them seeing you because there's no cover. So they can see you from a longer distance and they'll see you mm -hmm. climb the tree. So I tend to be a little lower usually. Um, a matter of fact, I tend to hunt off the ground a lot more in late season. Yeah, um, I've noticed that about you uh, just watching videos from late season. Yeah, it's because it's just hard to get into a tree, especially if they're moving a very short distance. If that deer is moving... 60 yards to his food source you know how do you get in between that 60 yards and climb 20 feet up in a tree without him seeing you you just can't do it so um i might be just off the ground i might be more in, inclined to hunt out of like a cedar tree where i can nestle inside of something where they can't see me where i have cover um or just get on the ground yeah that's, I mean, that's something I didn't think about is hunting on the ground during late season. And like, I'm, I'm probably going to go to, you know, Illinois here in January and hunt. And yeah, it's something I'll probably need to bring like my, 
my ghillie suit with me or something, just because there may be a scenario where you can't have to hunt on the ground. So, uh, and you can, I mean, if you can, you can get away with hunting on the ground in, in the right scenario. And, um, uh, do you have any, like any tips for setting up on the ground at all? Like the big thing is, is your first hunt's the good one. And okay. it, your first time slipping in there, if they're not expecting you to be there, they've never smelled you there. There hasn't been any people bothering them. Nothing's been around. They're more likely to just walk out stupid and let you shoot them. Yeah. But if you walk around the area and come back the next day, you know, like you go pick a spot out and they come through there and they smell you were there. It just takes one of them to walk over and smell where you're at. That the next time they come out, they check that spot to see if you're there. And if they yeah. know you're there, they're going to spot you. So it's really a matter of hitting it right the first time. Hmm. Again, you know, um, I can't, I can't remember where I heard this at, but I was hearing that those guys out in, um, out and like they were in North Dakota hunting yeah. in the late season and they built like a that they'd go in at noon or whatever and build like a snow because you know it's all white and they build like a snow blind almost that they'd set down inside of um and the guy one of the guys shot a buck out of, of one of them or like uh, a retarded deer <laughs> <laughs> that is true i guess it's western the western states but um well, you can get away with that. You can get away with a blind too. I mean, um, yeah, true. I think blinds work great in late season if they're like in a spot Hidden. where you know there's going to be action, and you just stay out of it until there's time and they get used to it. Yeah, almost um, like a preset location. Correct. Like, yeah, I got one of my yard. yeah. We got that that uh, food plot where I burnt down half the swamp in my yard. Yep. There, mm-hmm. I, put, I put a blind out there. I went. And I got a tied wee one. You see those new ones they got with the um, where you can see through them. Yep. Yeah. 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 Pretty cool. I picked one of those up and uh, I put that down by the food plot and uh, put a camera down there. And uh, it's been on there for three days. There hasn't been a deer on it. So yeah, they were in there earlier, but my neighbor just started whacking them under. He saw him coming across the road going in there, and he set up a tent over there. And <laughs> last couple mm-hmm. days of season, he blew the hell out of them. So. Haven't seen it. Oh, that's funny. All right. Next question here. Uh, do you stop hunting an area after gun season and the orange army has hunted it? Uh, do mature bucks leave or do they eventually come back later? Depends. I mean, um, sometimes they come back. Um, it doesn't necessarily kill the area. It just kills it for a while. And uh, what I found is uh, the orange army has a little less of an impact on an area than a bow hunter. And if, and, but what I mean by that is they go through everything. There's, there's not much that isn't touched by the orange army. They, they get into everything. So there's scents everywhere. So the deer just get kind of scattered and then eventually they got to settle down and pick a spot. So, um, a lot of the spots were, where we see deer during gun season, you know, it takes a while. But towards the end of December, all of a sudden there's a good one back in there. But generally, if there's, you know, it's areas that hold a lot of deer and have food nearby, just like everything else, you know. Um, I do find uh, a lot of the deer in late season um, in the heavily hunted marshes that still have big bucks, very remote. I see some of them way out there. 
Um, but in the marshes and swamp, once the snow is really deep, they kind of come out of those places. Then they come back out to the shallows. But if the snow is not deep, like right now, I don't have any snow, but overnight I'm supposed to get a ton of it, which means the doe hunters are going to slaughter the does. But mm -hmm. uh, right now, I'd say those deer are probably really deep in those marshes and swamps. And you can find them out near the uh, areas that are kind of like unstable where people don't go walk around because they'll fall through their armpits. Um, but as soon as the snow comes, they're going to move back out to the edges of the marshes and swamps and uh, will be very vulnerable again to uh, hunters. Okay. This is a really good question. Uh, this next one here, you guys ask, uh, what would you do during the late season if you already filled your buck tags to help you for next year's success? Scout. Yeah. So uh, he was. He, in the snow, it's kind of hard. Go ahead. He was. Uh, he was also. Uh, I don't remember if it was this question or not, but he was. There was another comment about uh, or question about if it's okay to like be scouting around where people are going to be hunting and whatnot. Well. You know, people go all over the woods. I mean, um, if you know, if I know somebody's hunting in an area, I won't go in there. But generally, there's really nobody out there anymore. Yeah. Really, when I hunt late season, I don't see people. The only right. people I'm seeing is the stupid doe hunters and stuff. When, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, late season, I don't see other bow hunters. I really don't. Period. I mean, every now and then you'll see a car in a parking lot. Your odds of walking past that guy are pretty slim. Um, so I would, I would get out scouting. I think the more you're, uh, you know, I guess if you shot one like during rut or something, you're walking around prime rut, you could really tick some people off. But uh, yeah, I don't know. The best time yeah. to, to scout is when the deer are there. So if you want to know what deer are doing during rut, or you want to know what they're doing during early season, that's the best time to look at the bedding areas. Literally, it's just, um, doesn't work out well for when you're for hunting. hunting. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, etiquette wise, I think if, if you're in the parking lot first and there's nobody else there, like I, I probably wouldn't go scouting around if there was, you know, a truck or two in the parking lot, uh, deer hunting, but like, if you're the only one there, you aren't really hurting anything. Um, right. it is what it is. It's your, it's your public land to whatever you want to go do, go in there and have a picnic if you want, you know? Um, right. I, I but, personally wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, um, scout someplace if I knew somebody was actively hunting that area. Right. But, right. Um, otherwise if I don't know somebody's in there, I'm going to scout wherever. Yep. All right. This will probably be a short one. You want, would you rather hunt over a cut corn field or a cut bean field? At this time of year, corn, Yep. Sure. Have you ever seen deer fun. going to, to beans though this time of year? Oh, yeah, yeah. Cut beans, cut beans, I mean. Uh cut beans, not so much. Standing yeah. beans usually. Um oh yeah. Yeah. But uh cut corn, I mean there's uh there's two kinds of cut corn. There's the kind with uh older equipment and stuff that drops a little, and there's the kind with brand new equipment that doesn't drop anything. That when they get done during a kernel of corn in a damn field. And then it's a useless field for the deer. They don't want to walk through open areas that have no food. Yeah. So if there's corn in the field that's cut, that's laying on the ground, it's usually a good destination for animals. 
Um, they might be a little shy about walking into it in daylight, but maybe you can um, figure out where they're coming from and uh, get between them. Um, sometimes there's, uh, I've had areas where the corn's away from a road and the bedding is right up against the corn and they will walk out in daylight. And any mature animals, even on public. Um, but uh, sometimes you got to get in between them too. Yeah. All right. Got a few more questions and we'll answer some stuff from the, the comments here. This guy says, uh, my target, but this is kind of almost the same scenario you're in right now, by the way. My target buck just showed up on cam for the first time since rifle. And it looks like he took a bullet to the shoulder. Uh, he's moving really slow. Doesn't think the guy doesn't think he's going to survive the, the winter in Northern Wisconsin between the, the cold and the wolves. He says, I have some time next, next weeks. And I'm wondering how you'd approach hunting a wounded, mature, big woods buck in late season. Well, I think a wounded, uh, mature late season buck is going to really lock down on a small area. He's not going to do a lot of traveling. So where you're seeing him or where you got him on camera, he's living right there someplace. I think I would uh, probably try to observe him and then move in and kill him. I, I think that's a very, very killable deer. One second. We got a uh, scammer in the comment section. All right, took care of it. Yeah. That's interesting though. I never thought about that. Like how a wounded deer would act differently than a, uh, a, you know, healthy deer. And now that deer that, um, that I'm hunting that's wounded, um, I got one picture of it and I got two cameras out there in kind of key spots. And I was actually surprised because it hasn't been seen since it was, uh, it's actually been shot twice. And what's surprising yeah, yeah. me is, uh, the guy who shot it thought it was gut shot when it went by him, by where it was bleeding, mm -hmm. he shot it and he hit it back a little bit and thought he gut shot it. And, uh, my friend with the dog went out there, he couldn't find it. And he said that, uh, he was sure it was dead by based on the blood, the blood color. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I couldn't believe it when I think showed up on camera now. And, uh, yeah. it, it didn't stay right in the area because I'm not getting more pictures of it unless it's there and I'm not seeing it because I'm being real delicate about the area. So um, I think maybe um, this weekend, um, while I'm waiting for all this dough stuff to end, I might shift the camera out there and see if I can pick them up again. Because I'm trying not to go in there and, uh, and disturb the area too much, but I, I have been doing really key hunts where I'm, in an observation spot where I can see a long ways to that area and I haven't put eyes on them. Usually the wounded ones will move more in daylight. They'll, uh, they're stressing. So they're going to have, uh, they're going to have to move more to food earlier in the evening. Um, they're not going to get out of that pattern as easy as a, another buck. They're not going to go wandering around at night and end up someplace else. They're going to get locked in a pattern. They're really easy to kill. Yeah. Um, speaking of wounded deer, did you see that picture of that deer that had that stick lodged through its back end walking yeah. around? Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody else in the comments has seen that, but well, that's a dead deer because if you look at where that stick's oh, going yeah. in, it's going through its guts. So that yeah. deer was, was dead 
um, within 12 hours of that picture being taken. And I would yeah. say probably sooner. So whatever happened to that deer had happened just before that picture was taken. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just, you put a picture of that up? Uh, I could probably find it. I had to, I had to find it and sure, and, I'll, I'll and find it while you're talking, but, uh, uh, I can't imagine, I mean, what that deer did to get that big. I mean, it was, it was not a small stick going through him. I mean, it was, I don't know. It was what about that big around probably. I mean, yeah. One would, uh, one would think that, uh, that would have to be, he fell off a cliff or something, right? Fell. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Right there. See how it, oh, uh, it's going gosh. through shots on the other side. You can kind of see it. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 But that, uh, I mean, that's good, that, yeah. obviously fatal. Um, that deer, um, you, somebody said he's going to suffer and suffer and suffer. I don't think so. I think that deer's dead within 12 hours. Probably, it, probably even an exaggeration because an arrow with that shot would be dead in 12 hours. I think yeah. that uh, with that stick and going through the guts and stuff and how it's uh, constricted, I mean, he's probably dead quicker than that. Probably, probably so. What they die of is they don't die of uh, blood loss. They die from uh, septic poisoning from going through the guts. Right. Um rough that's rough, rough. <laughs> um all right reminds me of my childhood <laughs> something that happened to you as a little kid and spikes through my leg and an axe uh -huh. in my leg. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh two more questions here all right i'd also be he said and this guy must ask two questions he said i'd be curious about how you guys think bucks use the wind going from bed to food they move earlier with the wind in their face and things like that. Um, I did a whole article on that once. It was really good. Um, but to, to, to brief it, um, uh, I think uh, deer go to bed and they, they make sure they smell the bed and make sure the bed is a secure area before they go in. So mm -hmm. a lot of times they'll semi-circle it. Sometimes they just come around and come in from downwind. <clears throat> but uh when they leave the bed and go to food i don't think there's any regard for wind and uh i've gotten in some um arguments about that with uh, other hunters and some hunters that really i have some respect for um and i remember one guy that's killed a lot of big bucks who told me that uh, i'm dead wrong bucks always go into the wind nose into wind and uh, he said every buck he's ever killed coming out of bedding has done that. And I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, how many times have you ever hunted them with the wind to your face? He said, never, because they don't come out like that. Yeah. You know? Well, I have killed them that way. I've killed them every which way you can imagine. I've, I've killed them coming out with the wind to the face. I've killed them coming out wind to tail. I've killed them on crosswinds because I hunt all those. Now, if I, I'd say if there's any kind of trend to it, I believe they come out a little earlier when the wind's in their favor. Um, maybe go a little further. So that you get a little advantage of them having the wind in their favor. But I don't think the wind is a dictator of which direction they're going to go. If deer always moved into the wind, wind to nose, they'd all end up in the ocean drowning after a few days of the same wind. <laughs> they, they just go to their food source. They're not that smart. You, you know, I think uh, wolves and coyotes are more smart with stuff like that. Um, but 
they are smart enough to check out danger zones. So I have seen them do things like um, go to the downwind side of a field before they walk out into it, like circle it. You follow the tracks, you see that. I've yeah. watched them uh, go to the uh, lowest point of a field before they go into it. And uh, now that's common knowledge, but um, the old school mentality has always been that they do that because they're out of sight. They're down that low spot. That's not really true. The reason they do that, and if you disbelieve me, walk around in the evening when you see them do that and drop milkweed anywhere in that field, it'll float to the lowest point because thermals always drop to the lowest point. So they'll go to that point where all the, the anything that's going on in that field, the scent will drop down to that spot, which is how they bet a lot. A lot of times in hill country, you'll see them in those ravines and stuff in a spot where you can't get near that spot because no matter where you drop milkweed from, it goes to the spot where they bet. Well, they do the same thing when they come to the field edge, but their travelings, I don't see it so much. And, and even when they come out of bed, I mean, they, they go from point A to point B, but when they get to point B, if they're leery of it, they'll circle around to the downwind side or, you, you know what I'm saying? But their travel routes, I don't see it much at all. The main time I see them use wind to travel is in rut when they're looking for does and they're trying to smell does. Then they'll take like uh, leeward ridges where they can smell below and above and they'll they'll walk, you know, right where the wind meets the thermal. Um, they will walk downwind uh, of doe bedding, um, things like that. But I really don't see them um, travel much. They bed a lot based on wind and how wind will travel to their beds and stuff. But that travel out of bedding, I don't see that much. What's been your uh, experience? Yeah, I've never been able to, to pattern something like like that where they, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like you. Every one of those bucks um, you got with the wind and nose. Yep, exactly. Yep. All these have been <laughs> shot on a northeast wind. and so, no. that's all <laughs> Only on a northeast wind. No, I'm, I'm with you. I have never. Somebody that I had that conversation with very mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and not to, uh, I mean, to be frank, I'd. I don't know. I haven't paid that much attention to it to, to be honest with you. Like I don't, I, I have, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you exactly how all these bucks behind me. You well, yeah. Cause you set up on how they come out not based on the wind. Yeah. You just set up on exactly. the wind being safe for you. Yeah. I've never found it to be an effective, like, or, or, or patternable enough to pay attention to it, I guess. So I, th I think a lot of times in hill country, um, a just off wind is important and it's not for that reason. But the main reason is, is because you you hunt above their bedding in a lot of cases because below them you get that thermal problem and you get their eyesight problem, but you can get above mm -hmm. them and get close a lot. And you hunt off of those points and stuff, and they're bedding on that point when the wind's blowing on that point. So you're trying to find some wind when they're bedding on that point, but the wind ain't going to them. So you get that just off wind and you get to the side of the point where it blows over, you know, it blows over yep. the um, draw. You know what I'm saying? And they still come out yep. kind of the wind knows, but you're off to the side and you can shoot to where they come out to. You know? Yep. All right. Let's, let's ask, uh, let's answer this one more question here and then we'll do part two uh, on Sunday. This isn't uh, a hunting question, but I thought it was an interesting one. It says, how do we make a living off YouTube and get to hunt all the time? I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand how, how YouTube works. And I thought it'd be interesting just to tell people how it works. Yeah. It's, uh, there's very few that are making a living off of it. 
Uh, you can yeah. do it, um, but it would take um, putting content up constantly. You got to do it uh, at least once a week. I would say probably more than that. And it has to be good content and people want to watch it. And you have to get, you know, you know 100,000 subscribers. You, yep. you got to have people watching. And uh, that is not an easy task. It takes a long time to build up a show like that. Long time. And it, it uh, you know, how it actually, how you actually get paid by YouTube is like, if you guys are watching a YouTube channel and you see an ad pop up or you're like those annoying ads, you know, that's, that's the creator that uh, the video gets ad revenue from those ads. Um, so that's how YouTube works. So the more yes, you guys so, watch this or when you guys, uh, um, watch the ad, the whole ads, we get paid mm -hmm. one price. And if you click skip the ad, we get paid a different price. So watch all the ads on my shows and on Josh's, you can skip them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fortunate because I can create a lot of content on this channel. So like the more, obviously the more videos you have, uh, the more views you get, the more ads you're going to see through the videos. So then you make more money. Right. Uh, so like it's hard. To you you want to make sure is that you got good content because if you're yeah. putting up, uh, just craft it to, to put it up every week. Yeah. Well, then you're gonna, you're gonna lose people, you know. And the other thing is too is you really can't um, take things to heart if people don't like you. There's a lot of fake people out there, and I don't mean that they they mean to be fake or anything like that. They I don't think people mean to be that way, but they try to correct everything people tell them to, and to become someone they're not. You know, I'm who I am, and I have to I have to understand that that's who I am. And if you don't like me as a person, I shouldn't be trying to correct myself to that. You can just go away and somebody else yeah. will fill your void. And I have to be okay with people um, leaving my channel because they don't uh, like who I am, like what I wear or like what I say or like my black gun or, or whatever. I mean, yeah, I, you know, that's okay. And, and you have yeah. to, you have yeah. to kind of be your own person. One of the biggest things is for me, is you have to be original. Um, you, you can't copy people. Um, there's one, um, Dan Infold. There's mm -hmm. one, Lee and Tiffany. There's, uh, y y you know, one of each of those. And the people that copy them never get to the degree of the people who are original. You know, if you come up with something new, original, you, you don't worry about how other people do shows and what they're getting and how they're doing it and what they're getting, you know, you know, there's only one hunting public. If you go out and you want to be the hunting public, that's already there. Yeah. There's a million right. people now trying to mimic them. How many of them you see popping up, going someplace? Cause they're already there. That's already a thing, you know? So the originality I think is important coming up with an ori original idea. It doesn't even have to be hunting. I mean, you could do um, a show on, uh, um, on uh, what mushrooms are edible and not and how to forage off the land and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. and if it's original and nobody else is doing that, you do real well. Yep. Um, but that's the thing is, is uh, when there's a million shows just like yours, you got a, you got a million other people competing against you. Yeah. So original is, uh, uh, is huge. All right. We're going to go ahead and just, uh, we go. Yeah, we can we can take a few questions from the the chat here too, and I left a uh, call in link in the comments at the bottom of the the page there. So if you guys want to call in, just shoot uh, 
shoot over to that link, follow the directions, and it'll it'll bring you to uh, the studio here, and I'll have to let you in. Just be patient with me if we're talking. Uh, after we're done with the question, I'll, I'll get you on the screen. So, all right. Tony asked if we ever use a spotting scope or just binoculars for glassing. I've used a spotting scope. Um, I really don't too often because um, most of the stuff that I'm hunting around here is uh, I don't have that kind of distance to look. Mm -hmm. So I usually use um, binoculars, but I do use a big pair. I use um, 10 by 50s. Yep. Yep. I have a, I use a spotter quite a bit. I have a, one of those, they call them a phone scope for them, where you can actually put your phone on the thing and video record what you're, you're looking at. What kind um, of binoculars that we got? We, we picked those new binoculars. Those Mavens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like those. I, I, you know, my old pair fell apart and uh, Josh had got uh, the Mavens and uh, he suggested I get a pair and I got a pair and um, the 10 by 50s are really compact and I've been able to, they're small enough that I've been able to wear them hunting. Yeah. Um, so like when I was hunting by Dave's where I could see the whole farm, that was nice. But um, I haven't used a spot and scope much. Uh, I do use my camera sometimes where I'll uh, mount it on a window mount. Mm -hmm. And then I can zoom in on uh, on deer and see what they are. But the binoculars work yep. a little better than, uh, than the camera. Yeah. Binoculars are just a little more user-friendly when it comes to riding around in a pickup. Or, you can fly them up so know. fast, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And and the yep. thing is, too, with, with the deer around me, I don't know how they are by you, Josh, but um, if I stop and lock on them and watch them for five minutes, they're gone, and then they might not yeah. even come back. So I kind of right. want to do a quick glance and get out of there for two reasons. Number one, I might spook the deer. Number two, somebody sees Dan's truck stopped on the side of the highway and binoculars sticking out the window. There'll be 10 trucks there tomorrow. Yeah. So I don't want to cause attention to the spot either. Yeah. Uh, around here, it seems like if you even just even s slow down to stop and look at them, you're going to you know, bump them off the field. But right. um, which I think is pretty common everywhere, especially in the you know higher density areas of Midwest. Now, if you go out west, I think, and you can look, you, uh, you can pull on the side of the road and watch deer for a while. But Didn't you talk about uh, deer being retarded. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, we got a call in here. You do see that with those deer that are, uh, there's certain areas where for whatever reason, they just don't, none of the deer seem afraid of people. Yeah. Maybe it's yeah. pressure related. Yeah, I'm sure it is. How's it going, Patrick? Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, I got a Nothing. real quick what's question. So, All right. Man, nothing, just frustrated. Our weather here has been terrible. So <laughs> oh, raining, man. raining, raining. Yeah. Um, and hot too, warm. Um, Dan, Josh, where do y'all go after uh, the the peak breeding's winding down here? We're probably in the last few days of peak breeding. Uh, I like hunting that a lot afterwards because the bucks seem to get on their feet. The big deer seem to really get on their feet and move around. Where do you find those deer once everything's kind of winding down? It seems like our deer just disappear, you know, down here in the south. They just, after peak breeding, they're done. And then after Christmas, we'll have usually a pretty good second rut. Um, that you can get some action at, but it's, you know, nothing like the first rut. Where do you go to find those deer usually? So um, for me, it's been, um, I'm still a uh, hunting rut type um, mentality. And uh, I'm seeing less deer, but I'm getting in tight to um, doe bedding areas. I just figure they're a little more nocturnal at that in-between time. 
um, but they're still checking. And um, what I think is, is they're a little stressed out from the breeding of all the does and stuff like that and uh, the chasing and all that stuff. And they move just a little less, but they're still interested. And at that, at that time frame, there's still those that come into heat here and there. And I'm still concentrating on that type of um, factor. Um, but you're just going to have a little less action. It's, it's not peak rut. Um, what are your thoughts, Josh? Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't, I guess, I don't, are you asking what kind of time frame are you asking? Are you, are you thinking it's like, like lockdown or what, like the, the I'd say know, we're lockdown. on the, t well, it's kind of weird. Like usually our lockdown is probably like the 30th was, is usually my best day hunting in the woods for big deer. And then after that, they go into lockdown, lockdown usually generally lasts till like the sixth or seventh. And yeah. then they go back, you know, then you start seeing a bunch of like the bigger deer really get on their feet, like real anxious looking for those last few does. Then after yeah. that, oh, I mean, I it, it, yeah, it just shuts down. So like now after their lockdown, I still do what Dan said, you know, I still hunt those rut areas, kind of, you know, the downwind side of bedding and stuff like that. But then when you know it's over, like our deer, the next, yeah. you know, those necks get skinny again. And it's just a yeah, depressing yeah, yeah. time of year. Where do, I mean, that's I when mean, I was wondering too. I, you, I think I would just revert back to, you know, my scouting from the, the, the springtime where they're, you know, with those bedding areas, I know that they like and, and go from there. Um, if you're talking about like after rut is over, but. Yeah. Cause but we if, don't if have ag agriculture either. So that's a big thing. You know, yeah. if we had ag fields, we're in a, I'm in a river bottom and it's mostly cut over. So everything just about looks alike. It's different stages. Summer's yeah. 10 years, some's five years. But if you're, if you got the, if you got the feeling that like these, these big bucks are going to be, you know, trying to, trying to sniff out those last, remaining does and then then you know that's what that's where i would think like dan would i'd take dan's advice for sure on that just but, betting mm -hmm. or kind of concentrate those betting areas and stuff like that Same one. Betting, yeah yeah okay all right guys well thanks thanks all right, man all right good guys. luck have a good one thanks you too all right william had a question here that uh, happens a lot whenever we're doing what we do here he says uh he was scouting and he essentially bumped a mature buck. He probably smelled him. He said, um, he didn't, didn't see me, but he took off crashing. And also he also walked the area pretty heavy and then left it alone for two weeks. Now he's like, do you think I have a chance still on that buck? You always got a chance. Maybe you should hunt someplace else though. Cause you crashed him out of there. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, he said, well, I think I'll be honest with you, uh, William, I'll, I'll say this, Jan, and then you can go ahead. But like, I think maybe uh, waiting two weeks was probably not a good idea. I'd probably have sat there right away. Um, and then maybe you could wait two weeks, but especially if you walked around in there, yeah, you were sent all over the place. And then he comes back and he smells that. And you might even bed this bed there the day he smells you. It was going to be in the back of his mind. Kind of like, uh, I've, uh, walked through an area and watched a big buck walk across my scent trail, you know, watch him walk through there like three days in a row. And the fourth day he walks through and walks across my scent trail and you never see him again. Yeah. Doesn't show much reaction, but he knows what he smelled. You know, um, there is a chance that that deer is one of those deer that has an attitude and he just comes right back in there and doesn't care that you're there. I've yeah. seen that many times. Um, but there's also a chance that he comes, he comes back and he smells that you're there and he doesn't like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's probably likely. But 
if it were me and I was going out there to hunt, my first hunt would be right where you saw that buck and I'd give it a shot. Yep. But I would not dwell on that. I'd give it one try. Mm-hmm. He don't, if he's not there, he's probably not there because he smelled you and all that, that grief. Yeah. Matter of fact, even if he, even if it didn't bother him, um, a lot of these bedding areas have like a, you know, unless you're into winter mode where they're really stuck on a food source, they have about a week or two peak time from when that buck's there and they moved to another bedding area. So, I mean, really like Josh said, hunting it right away again before they have a chance to move on is probably the best. Yep. All right. Um, let's do a couple more and we'll get off here. Everybody, uh, says what he, uh, wish to fish. He says, uh, what if you have too much bedding available? He said he has lots of clear cuts or mountain laurel. Too much bedding. It's like having too much women, too much gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not very many places where there's uh, there's too much bedding. I think I I, I mean I kind of understand what he's getting at. Yeah, though. well, so I hunt these vast swamps, and people will tell me, "Well, where do you hunt? There's bedding everywhere. There's deer everywhere, and there is." but those big bucks aren't everywhere. There's going to be places in that spot that they prefer. Now, um, case in point, I'll just make it kind of simple is, uh, I remember the first time I hunted Iowa and I went down to, uh, Southwest Iowa in the corner and it was really open. There's just tree lines. And I was like, where the hell is a deer? And every time you'd find a little pocket of brush, 10 big bucks would run out of it. And you'd be like, what the heck? Because that wouldn't hold a rabbit back home. You know why? Because I got good bedding here. So deer will all, big bucks will always gravitate to the very best bedding spots. Sometimes when there's a lot of bedding, like you're talking, mm-hmm. you can't differentiate between uh, great bedding and good bedding. But those bucks can and what you got to figure out is where those big bucks are betting. Because, like, uh, we've got a uh, swamp up the road from me. It's three miles across. Every single time I run into a big buck in that area, they're in the same little area. There's, like, two big buck betting areas in there that are really good. Um, but from the outside looking in, there's betting everywhere. And that's not to say there's not little pockets here and there where they can hold a big buck. But what it is saying is mature bucks will choose the best spots, whether it's for wind, whether it's because of people, whether it's because it's overlooked, whatever the reason is, they're going to be in key spots there. And uh, the rest of that bedding is going to be filled with um, young bucks and insufficient bucks and, and does, in my opinion. Yep. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I would, I would, I would completely agree with you. I don't have much else to to add. Well, even um, if you get into the hills by you, you, I mean, you can get to a spot where there's one property in it, and it really has a system set up, and there's ten points on it. Mm-hmm. You get to learn that this one little knob over here, exactly, that's where he's always yeah. at, as long as I leave yeah. him alone. 
and that and you can have that those same feelings in hill country you can get overwhelmed in hill country because there's just so right. you know typically it's big acreage and then it's at, at the same time it's like there's just so many places they could be at and there. you look at it from a map not being there before i'll end up looking at all those knobs but once you find yeah. the right one it's kind of like how we talk about how you go to the property back again because so i always pick spots that are new because i like seeing new properties mm-hmm. by the time i learn them it's time to go home but if you learn that spot, if I came back the next year to the same property, went to the same spots, I'd get right on deer because yep. of that. Yep. All right. Uh, I'm scrolling through here. Racer Dave asked if Mario has been filming any hunts. I believe we got a hunt coming up from him. I'm still waiting. He wants to edit his own, so we'll see. There you go. Sorry, everybody. I do not have a discount code to Maven. I know they're not sponsored by them or anything. Uh, I just really like them and like they're the guys that to run run the place. Um, here's a good one to end on. Dan, if you could go back and give your 30-year-old self one piece of hunting advice, what would it be? Um... It'd probably be something to the effect of that um, deer hunting doesn't mean everything. That I don't have to kill the biggest bucks in the world. It doesn't really matter. That maybe my family matters more. Yeah. I think I was uh, addicted to hunting 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, anything more specific to hunting other than life? <laughs> You said anything, right? I knew you were going to say that. Okay. So, <laughs> um, geez, I don't know. I mean, um, at 30, I probably thought I knew everything. Um, I don't know that I advanced a huge amount since then. I don't know what I would say. Yeah. I was killing a lot of big bucks at 30. Maybe if you went back to like 20. <laughs> right. So what would I tell right. my 20-year-old self? Um, there you go. I would probably, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't changed a whole lot really on, on how yeah. I do things. I think that but, the biggest lessons I learned are, like I said, I mean, uh, with um, family, morals, ethics, I think, I've, uh, I think I'm a better person now. Yeah. At least in my yeah, I, I think uh I think something that like most young people do, they just get in too big of a hurry or get impatient or uh they want the you know instant gratification of deer hunting and it's sometimes that's you know not the case with deer hunting. You know, it's a long, drawn out, slow process and um anyway. So I think I I'd uh, I'd probably killed a few more deer if I'd uh had a little bit more, more patience or, um, when I was younger, not that I'm, I'm 30 at the moment. So 31, I guess, but anyway, all right. We've been on here for an hour and a half. So it was a good, good show. A lot of people on there's over 400 people on tonight. So that's awesome. Everybody. Thanks for the question. Sunday, we'll come back on and answer the remainder of the ones on the, the website or on the uh, Facebook page. If you want to go over there and ask something, Go ahead. There's the the form or the post is still up there on the 
Hunting Beast Forum Facebook page. And everybody, make sure you hit the like button on this video. Leave us leave a comment if you like what we're doing and and subscribe too. So everybody, good luck if you're gonna go hunting this weekend and we'll see you in a few days. See ya.